everyone and welcome to series two of Is This Normal? And for this series, we're joined by a brand new co-host, um, my colleague, Sarah Scott, who is also a mum and she's got a little boy like myself, um, different ages, but which is great because we're able to bounce plenty of, of experiences and ideas off each other. So um, welcome, Sarah. How have you found life as a mum then? Theo is, he's just turned 19 months and I honestly, I can't believe it, Sheena. Like, that time has just gone in the blink of an eye. Um, and it's hard sometimes to actually think back to the beginning because every stage is so different, isn't it? You know, you're thrown into that newborn stage and it is so overwhelming. Um, and I know we had lots of different things to to get used to. Um, and now you're kind of into this toddler stage and that's just a whole other kettle of fish really, isn't it? Absolutely. And I think one of the things, well, I know certainly from my experiences in those early days, and I think there's plenty of parents will agree is is sleep and well I should say lack of sleep and lots of people you know they try to prepare you for it but you don't really know <laughs> what it's like until you're in it so I mean how did you find or how was is, how was Theo was he a good sleeper oh Sheena we've talked about this Theo was a really awful sleeper honestly that was the worst thing about well just to get used to really because it was like he was waking every 45 minutes hour and a half and see by the time he was four or five months I was just I feel like I was losing my mind a bit um <laughs> thankfully we have got to a point now um that he's kind of sleeping a bit better but you know what I have learned never get too confident about something because as soon as you yeah. think it's going okay it just yeah it flips the other way so I'm not going to say too much about yeah. his sleep being all right no. but yeah in the beginning it was it was absolutely horrendous to get used to um and people like you say people warn you but until you're actually in the in the midst of it, um, you're just running on. You're running on empty, but you just get by. Um, but it's it's tough. Yeah, you've no other choice. I think we were we we went to survival mode as parents. I, I we were the same with with Dara. Um, I mean, like he's he's coming three now, which is is crazy to think. But um, and obviously we're preparing to go back into that sleep deprived mode with our our new arrival all being well. Um, in the summer, so I mean, it's it's one of those things where. I'm hearing about friends who have recently had babies talking about those early stages again. I'm thinking, oh dear, I'm going back to that, aren't I? Like, I'm totally not prepared for it. But with all those trials and tribulations and basically all those queries and concerns that we spend the middle of the night Googling, um, I think that's that we've got the perfect episode coming up um, because we're going to talk about sleep and we've got a brilliant expert Um on hand to, to, to guide us through it, fingers crossed, and all our little troubles. So let's get started. Today, we're talking to Erica Hargadon, a child sleep consultant with her private practice, Babogue. Uh, welcome, Erica. We're really excited to have you with us today. Oh, thank you so much for having me, guys. I'm excited. <laughs> well, we're going to talk all things toddler sleep, um, but we thought maybe it would be good to have a wee chat with you first about your own experiences. What actually got you into child sleep um, and I understand, you know, you maybe had quite a tough time with your first child. Yeah, I think like lots of people who who get into something uh, maybe in a, a therapy related way, it's down to personal experience very often. And 
Uh, my first child uh, will be 12 um, in two weeks time. And when he was born, I had all of the excitement that everybody else has. And I was very real. I was expecting sleep deprivation. I was expecting all of the things that come with having a new baby. But by the time he got to seven or eight months old, he was still waking anywhere between six and 12 times at night. And the sleep deprivation was really, really chronic on, on me. I went from, you know, quite a lively and, and bright person, you know, probably similar to what you guys might experience today, uh, to really a shell of myself. I became very, very insular. I became quite anxious and, and I'm underestimating it really by saying quite. I became extremely anxious. I didn't want to leave my house. I felt like I was barely coping with what was happening within my four walls. So I, I just stayed at home. And my husband was working every hour that God gave because there was a worldwide recession at that time. And uh, he sells property. So I was on my own quite a lot. And really and truly everywhere I turned for help, because I knew what was happening to me was something I needed help with. Not only help with his sleep, but also help with me. Like I knew I, I wasn't feeling great. I knew that I was not myself. I knew that this wasn't right, that I knew that it wasn't me. But everywhere I went for help, I kind of got messaging back a little bit like, oh, you're just not coping did you not not realize what was ahead of you? This is part of parenting. And I was like, but I'm really struggling. Like I'm I'm definitely beyond depressed now. This is becoming something that needs intervention nearly. And like I went to all the places that you would go, you know, to, you know, public health nurse and your GP and and your friends and, and your family. But really, it wasn't until my mother came to visit. Um, I live about two hours from where I grew up and my mother came to visit and she opened the door to me and she said what met her at the door was a statue of her daughter. Very grey you know, just not myself whatsoever. And she said that was the point, even though she'd seen me many times prior to this point, she was like, no, something needs to change. And she sent me to bed, which was the only places I needed to be. And I slept. I remember it clearly. I slept for 12 hours. I think I went to bed at six and I didn't get up till six. And in the morning, she handed me a stiff cup of coffee and sat me down and said, Erica, there's nothing wrong with you other than you are sleep deprived. There is nothing wrong with Quinn other than he doesn't know how to sleep himself. And I'm going to stay. She said, I've been talking to your father and I'm going to stay now and I'm going to help you. And my mum did for me over the next, I think it was about two weeks, what I now do for families. She helped me understand the sleep. She helped me come to grips with, you know, kind of fading out dependencies that were going on between me and him for his sleep. She helped me bring him to a more independent uh, sleep state and really let me understand that a routine doesn't need to be something that, you know, you're restricted by, that it can be flexible and that you can work with your baby and work with yourself in terms of putting that in place. And I never looked back never looked back. I became possibly a little bit obsessed with child sleep because I did want more children. I, I, I knew I wanted three children and that's what I have. 
And I did, but I didn't want to go through what I had gone through. And I became very respectful of sleep. I knew that it was something that I needed to place deep respect on. And I never knew that previously because I slept. I got sleep. So I read everything I could about child sleep, like absolutely everything, every book I could lay my hands on. And, you know, 12 years ago, there was no iPhones. So I wasn't able to Google everything at, you know, there was dial up. There was no like Wi-Fi lads, different, different times. And so like my husband had cut things out of the paper and bring them home to me and whatnot. And I really, at that point, self-educated myself about child sleep. And when I went on to have Kate, who will be 10 in June, and Patrick, who is now five, I, I, I took everything I had learned and applied it. And Kate slept through the night at seven weeks and Patrick slept through the night at 12. And that was just by taking information that's out there in books and applying it. Now, when I did that, I kind of got a bit of a name for myself with my friends and my family. Oh, well, you know, if, if your child wasn't sleeping, sure, ask Erica. She'll know what to do. And in the job I was in at the time, people would come into the office and look, we all complain about our kids, right? Like we all like, oh, my God, it was a terrible night. And oh, my God, you know, so people would do that when they come into the office. And I go, come here, come here, sit down and tell me what's going on. And they would tell me and I would say, listen, Try this and try that. And sure, when you're in for your next meeting, you can tell me how you got on. And they would come in for the next meeting with a box of chocolates because the child would be sleeping. Yeah, like and that went on for a good long while. And my my best friend had miracle twin boys um, and she they're going to be five. Yeah, five in May. And I helped her with their sleep when they were about six months old. And her husband jokingly said to me, Erica, you should be doing this for a living. And the light bulb went off. Like I knew that there were sleep consultants. I was very aware of who the main names of sleep consultants were in Ireland and in the US. But I guess I never kind of thought that that was something that I could do. And uh, I decided I would go and research it. And I spent four months researching sleep consultancy courses. And I chose one that was very comprehensive in the US. And over the course of a year, I studied to become a child sleep consultant. I logged into a virtual classroom every Wednesday with 30 other girls from all around the world. And we learned about sleep. And that course was the absolute makings of, I suppose, what I do now. I definitely knew a lot of it from my own research, but now I have like a sisterhood. I have like three or 400 other consultants globally that I can like hop cases off and talk to them about it. And I can get continuous education through this group that I'm part of, but I'm not bound to like a a franchise or anything like that. I'm I'm able to establish my my own identity as a sleep consultant and my own brand and my own way of doing things. So yeah, that's how Babog was born. It's incredible just to see how you know how bad it can get for some parents. And I think anybody who's who's had a child and and who who you know obviously there are children who are yeah. great and fall into a sleep routine and and maybe never come out of it. But there are parents who are like yourself in in desperate desperate need of help and support and um I think it's great obviously there's services like yourselves out there 
Totally. I call those kids that uh, just fall into sleep routine unicorns. They are unicorn babies. They are few and far between. And I, I think there is a big underestimation on how sleep deprivation plays a role in, you know, postnatal depression and in postnatal issues with mums. Like there's an awful lot more awareness around postnatal psychosis and conditions like that and how sleep can factor into those and how where you maybe have never experienced sleep disruption or sleep deprivation previously the the sleep deprivation then can kind of nearly unearth something, you know, that you never knew was there ever, ever. And that's certainly what happened to me. And I like to be very honest about that because I believe the more people talk about these experience, the more you normalize them and the more that you open up the ability for conversation around them. I know it made me feel quite emotional listening to what you went through because I could see, you know, some similarities with my own journey and a lack of sleep when you're a new parent is is really, really, really tough to deal with. And like you say, it can have have massive implications for your for your mental health. And I'm sure, you know, it doing the work you do, you know, some of the, the stories you hear, I'm sure break your heart. Absolutely break my heart. There is like I think people don't generally reach out to a sleep consultant until they are at their lowest ebb, you know, so you know, every day I will get emails, you know, with stories like this. So this is this is not like one in 10. This could be seven in 10 parents that experience this. And yes, we can definitely handle a level of sleep deprivation. But when it is long term, like I'll often hear from parents who maybe are dealing with sleep challenges with their children for six years Do you know, and they are maybe working full time. They are trying to hold down jobs. They have other children. Maybe they have a child with special needs as well. You just don't know what everybody is is going through. And I I guess the, the other side of the messaging out there is, oh, children, they don't sleep. They can't sleep. And they can. It's but it is more about understanding that definitely sleep in the first three years. And we were saying this, Sarah, before we started is a roller coaster. Sleep for children in those first three years evolves and changes. But through education and understanding of sleep, parents will be able to re- to respond to those evolving changes appropriately. But because there isn't much information out there for parents, they don't know how to respond appropriately. And that's definitely something that I'm trying to maybe break the mold on, certainly through my Instagram account, where there's like loads of helpful videos there. And then through my online sleep program, the sleep series, and that is really about education the toolkit on how to handle sleep challenges and support because parents definitely need support. And with the pandemic, we've lost our villages. We've lost our ability to lean in on our Auntie Mary and our grandmother and even our parents and our sisters-in-law and sisters. We've been separated. So there's a whole tranche of lockdown babies, you know, and their mammies and daddies have been have been flying solo. So if they can get support, I think that's that's really important and understanding. Yeah, I think I think you're right in, in that respect. It is it's all about support and the pandemic has certainly changed that. Um, and I know so we kind of we know there's 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 an awful lot of talk obviously about like infant sleep and you know when children should be kind of falling into a routine. And I know obviously you said 
haven't educated yourself, your second and third obviously fell into routines pretty quickly. But with the children that we're going to kind of focus on today is more that toddler stage. So you've been through those hazy, hazy nights. We've we've been through it with, you know, night feeds. And we do learn to expect those, um, you know, the the breaks in your sleep with that. But when your child moves out of that and is, you know, obviously more capable and is in that toddler stage, um, that's where we kind of want to focus today because obviously parents at that stage expect with age and you know all that there I know they're on their feet maybe they should be sleeping sleeping better at night um so we kind of wanted to talk about what what are the most common um toddler sleep issues that you see coming to you um on a daily basis Erica through your platforms Oh, goodness me. Uh, Yeah, plenty of sleep challenges with toddlers. And just to say, like sleep challenges with toddlers can come in in two forms. They can be due to sleep challenges with on the baby stage that never got resolved and they just continue with the sleep nearly as a sleep norm. Or they can come because of developmental changes that happen for the child around that age range. And. in particular for me, toddlerhood kind of starts around maybe the 14 to 16 months onwards because there's a significant change around sleep at that time where a child will go to one nap a day. So napping challenges are huge. So can't get them to go down for a nap, can't get them to nap in a cot, you know, maybe very, very short, short napping where you would expect to see that holy grail long nap in the middle of the day that we all love so we can drink a hot cup of tea and, you know, those kind of things. Also then bedtime refusal, don't want to get into the cot, don't want to get into the bed, you know, constant curtain calls and callbacks as I would call them. I need another drink, one more hug, one more kiss. That's not enough books. Um, also parental dependence where parents have to remain with the toddler in order for the toddler to initiate sleep. And that can then have the issue of the toddler then requiring multiple inputs of that nature overnight in order for the sleep to be maintained. And also early rising. Toddlers who are looking to start. Yeah, she knew yeah. you're nodding. That's me. Early I'm rising. Yeah. I've, yeah, had one of yeah. those, I've had one of those for almost three years now. <laughs> yeah, starting their days, you know, kind of like half four, five o'clock. And that's that to me is a worst experience ever. And it, it's it's a difficult one to resolve. It's hard. But those would be kind of the, the typical things. And also maybe the transition to the big bed too early. But we will talk about that. Yeah. I know actually just you saying all that it's reminded me of the night I had last night with my wee man he is 18 months and for the first time in a long time I actually ended up just sitting in the room with him until he um until he did start to to fall asleep and then creeping out and I know that is the the wrong thing probably to do um but I suppose how how do we deal what's the best way to approach dealing with toddler sleep issues because they have more of a level of understanding, don't they? And, and they can actually attempt to crawl or not crawl, climb out of the cot. Totally. Like, and, and just to say what you actually did last night was perfect. Just to reassure you on that. <laughs> you stayed in your child's sleep environment, you supported them, and then you went to your own sleep environment, you know, to finish out your night's sleep. And I might just talk about that a small bit. But 
really for toddler sleep, it's about addressing whether something in their daytime routine might need to be changed. So if you've got a toddler who's still napping, you know, maybe you've an 18 month old and they're taking two hour big nap in the middle of the day. Does that nap need a little shave? Does it need 15 minutes shaved off it if you're having trouble with bedtime and the overnight side of things? So it's about looking at the sleep picture and seeing does something need to be changed? Now, we might want to just shave off the nap like, no, I need more time to get my ironing done and whatnot. But they might need it. So what might be convenient for us isn't necessarily what the child needs in order for the sleep challenge to be resolved. So I would definitely look at whether your child is overtired or undertired. If you then on the flip side of a child that isn't napping, I would firstly address the time that the nap is being offered. If it's being offered you know, kind of at midday, I might kind of push it out to one o'clock. They might be more tired at that time. Um, and also if they're really not napping, maybe your child is closer to two and a half years of age and napping is just starting to drop off. Start using early bedtime so that your child is getting the opportunity to make up for the lost nap during the day in their nighttime sleep. Overtiredness is killer, killer for all stages of, of child sleep. But really for toddlers, I find you know, where they start to draw more from you and they want you to stay with them or they want more, we have to put on our parental hat and we have to draw the boundaries because as you rightly said, Sarah, they understand more. So your toddler understands cause and effect. I ask for one more, I get one more. Therefore, I will ask for five more and the five more will come and then it keeps going. It's kind of like at nine months where they drop the toy and you pick up the toy and return the toy and show we have a game, I'll drop the toy again. So they, they have a much higher cognitive understanding. So putting your boundaries in place and being firm but fair, you know, so you you will have to say no. No, there is no more book. You know, and also employing maybe like Sarah, where you were working through a challenge last night, employing silence. So if you are like going on a back and forth conversation with your toddler in the middle of the night while they want to get out of the bed and into your bed, then it's it is fueling it. So trying to get into a little bit of a Zen mode and maybe a repetitive line of, you know, Harry it's night time, it's time for sleep. And that's it. Not a, no, you can't have more dodies and no, you can't have a book and no, I'm not turning the light on. And Do you know? So there is a little bit of a tactic around that. If, if you've a child that maybe has always had sleep challenges and you've gotten to the point where, you know what, I need to resolve this not only for myself, but for him as well, so that he can have more sleep. Employing a method, Sarah, like you described, where you stay with the child in their own sleep environment until they fall asleep is so useful. 
but you do need to fade it out. And there is a um, kind of methodology around that, that, you know, you kind of fade back this dependency over a period of time slowly so that the child then gains more confidence and gets used to this new norm around their sleep. This can be very, very useful for a child maybe that is used to co-sleeping or sleeping in arms or maybe even falling asleep on bottles to get them into a new rhythm around sleep. Sometimes you look at what you've done and you think you've made lots of mistakes, but maybe, you know, as you say, it's it's just adapting what you are doing and making slow, slow, steady changes and just being firmer. Because I definitely know that's one area I fall down in. I am a big pushover. So I am going to start being firmer from now on, Erica. Well, I, I definitely wasn't a pushover with my first two But I am a pushover with my last guy. I have to say I am a total softy when it comes to him. I think it's because I like he's my last. He's five. I I won't be having any more children. So I definitely find with him when he does push the boundary, I'm like, oh, you know, it's a bit funny to me nearly. But I then he will continue to try and push it because he's seen the gap in the hedge and he's like, I'm going to go for that. And I have to rein it back in. But There is no lost causes when it comes to sleep, guys. Like there might be a parent listening to this that has a 10 year old that maybe has high anxiety around sleep and has challenges. There is ways of changing that, but definitely to say it will take time. There is there's no quick fixes when it comes to working on sleep at any age range, really. But particularly with toddlers, it's slow and kind of repetitive change that works best. If you try and rip the band-aid off, you're going to get such a reaction out of the toddler that it, you you won't be able to follow through. Whereas if you take it slowly but surely, then they nearly they might they'll absolutely notice the change, but they'll be able to adapt to it easier. Yeah, I think that's that is that is something that we all kind of wait when you're in the middle of that, you know, whatever stage of sleep you're at with your child, you 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 need that or you want that quick fix. You want, oh, my goodness, I just wish, you know, from tomorrow night on they would sleep through the night or or it would just be over. Or I will get a full night's sleep back again. But um, I think you're right, Erica. It's one of those things where we, we do need, obviously, to adapt a wee bit of a, a patient approach. Um, and it, there won't be an overnight fix. Um, but we know as well with toddlers, Obviously, developmentally, when they get that wee bit more aware of their surroundings and, you know, maybe they're watching more or reading more and obviously taking everything in and, and even listening. Like I noticed my my son is is turning three now in June and I'm aware of even when he is busy with his own activity, he's he's taking everything in. He's maybe listening to me and his dad talking, listening to me and his granny talking and because um, you'll hear him then maybe repeat something later on. And that's kind of something which I know a lot of other parents may struggle with when those types of things that toddlers are maybe catching the tail end of a conversation, catching something on TV or something appears in in something they're watching, which obviously leads then to nightmares. They're waking up in the night and even obviously more distressing for parents, which is obviously the night terror, which, you know, is can be very, very difficult to deal with. Um, and frightening, obviously, if you've never experienced it before with a child, you're thinking, what should I do? Should I intervene? Should I wake them if it is a night terror? Um, but also trying to obviously reassure them if it is just a nightmare. And because, again, nightmares then present that phase of 
they don't want to be in there suddenly, which used to be a safe sleep environment. They don't want to be there anymore. They want to be with you in your room, which we know obviously then can lead to that if you were in a good sleep routine going backwards. Um, so kind of what we're going to look at that now and, and obviously get your views on, on how to manage those situations when when that does come. Yeah, nightmares and night terrors in particular are extremely challenging. And anybody who's experiencing those, the first thing I would tell you to look at is, is the child overtired? That's the very, very first thing. So if you've got a toddler that has just dropped napping, and has started to have nightmares or night terrors, then definitely look at that and use an early bedtime. There is a difference between nightmares and night terrors. Nightmares, a child may remember. They will be able to say what they were dreaming about because it is a dream state. Uh, They'll be able to communicate back to the parent as to what has upset them, as to what it was that they experienced during the dream. A night terror, that's not the case. A night terror is a para insomnia. So it's kind of in between dream and awake. It's like a gray area. And really with a night terror, the best thing that you can do as a parent if your child is experiencing that is not wake them. You need to support them. So instead of like going in and and waking Harry up, you sit with Harry and make sure that he's safe. He's not going to do himself any injury. He's not going to fall out of the bed. He's not, you know, if you try and wake them, you actually could push them further into the terror and expand it more and longer. Um, And the thing the parents need to remember with night terrors is your child won't remember it. Their eyes are wide open. They're horrible to experience. I've experienced them myself in this house. And you, your child is screaming. It's a terrible experience. It's like they are being attacked in their sleep. It's awful. But if you wake them, you could push them further into it and it will last longer. But then remember, if I don't wake them, this could be over sooner. And my child actually won't remember what is happening. So they are more terrifying for the parent who can see it than for the child. So actually supporting your child in their return to sleep is the best thing to do with night terrors. I would also recommend anybody who is experiencing difficulties around nightmares and night terrors to request that your child's iron levels are checked. Uh, Yeah, the two of you are like, oh, my God. Um, Iron levels are being uh, studied at the moment in terms of linkages into sleep difficulties like this. So these are medical sleep difficulties rather than behavioral sleep difficulties. So no amount of dealing with behavioral change around sleep will fix a sleep difficulty that has a medical issue behind it. So if you're experiencing a lot of issues around night terrors and you can't see any other correlation, you've turned off the TV. There is no news in the house. They're no longer seeing the older brothers Fortnite or Marvel Shields or whatever then you need to look at why. Is is this occurring because of something they're eating? Is this occurring on days they go to bed late? Is this occurring on days where they're very active or unactive? So it's look at your logs. And if you can't get on top of it, I would definitely request 
an iron check and the low levels of iron could indicate an issue and maybe going on a bit of iron therapy, just supplements that your GP, your doctor will bring you through could actually help the situation hugely. Yeah, it's it's one that people are like, oh, my God, uh, in the last year through this consultants forum that I'm part of, a lot of new papers and studies have started to come out about this that we're all getting our eyes on now. And we're starting to factor in with some of our families that we work That's, with. That is fascinating because I think your automatic thought as a parent is behavior it's or it's you know it's an experience that has led to that nightmare or night terror it's something they've seen during the day something they've watched but as you say if it is kind of maybe a chronic thing which is going on um we never think of the the medical side of things which is fascinating so that's definitely a a great tip for parents no like definitely sheena like I like rule out all the other things. So all the other things that you as a parent will identify. I need to stop talking about that in front of my child. I need to turn off the TV. I I need to not have the radio on during the day. So you as a parent, you can absolutely do all of those things. But then if none of those things after a period of a number of weeks are resolving the situation, then look down the route of linking in with pediatrician or your your doctor and request the iron check just to see, is it a factor? And I know we'd mentioned earlier on talking about another big issue when it comes to toddler sleep, and that is about the transition from a cot to an actual bed. You know, there's a lot said about when they're a baby moving into their nursery, but the transition out of their cot is actually a big one. So I was wondering if you could maybe talk us to, you know, the best age to do this, um, good methods, how to know when your child's ready and maybe on timing. I love this one because I actually documented this on my Instagram when I was doing it with Patrick. And believe it or believe it not, Patrick was three years, four months before I took him out of a cot. He was happy as Larry in his cot And I knew from experience that doing it any sooner could unhinge my superstar sleeper. So my recommendation to all parents is to keep your child in a cot until as close to three as possible. Now, we have to think about the cot jumpers because we've all had the child that throws the leg over the side of the cot. And I have I have two small tips about that. Keep your child in a sleeping bag for as long as possible, because if they're in the sleeping bag, they can't throw their leg over because the sleeping bag can inhibit it. Also, if your cot doesn't have a set of drawers in the bottom of it, then take the base out and drop the cot down to the mattress being flush with the floor. Therefore, there's maybe another couple of inches that might inhibit the child throwing their leg over the side of the cot and the maybe needing to be taken out of the cot prematurely. I've done that. Like I've had I've had to do both of those things. So this comes from a place of experience and it comes from a place of working with families on this. So ideally, you're trying to keep your child in their cot until as close to three as possible. Now, that's not always possible, but... If you take your child out of their cot at two because you've a new child coming, then your two-year-old will not be able to process developmentally the lack of boundaries that a bed brings. They won't understand 
I have to stay in my bed all night long. They will wander. They will absolutely make their way around the house and call you back and get in and out of the bed. Whereas a child of three or over, they will cognitively be able to deal with that. They'll be able to handle the I stay in my bed all night. So that is really my top, top tip. If you are thinking about doing the cot to bed transition, but also changing room, my advice is to put the cot into the new room first for a period of time to get the child used to the new sleep environment and then bring in the bed. So let the child get used to their new sleep environment first and then bring in the bed. I am incredibly relieved to hear you say that about the age thing because that the situation I'm in at the minute obviously is we are um, expecting our second child in the summer and my toddler who will be three in June is still in his cot bed and like with the sides up we haven't even taken it does turn into a cot bed yeah but it's still very much in the cot mm-hmm. stage and he loves it and I I I'm I'm nearly afraid to to make that next step but I, like I say we will need the cot at some stage but I'm glad to hear he'll be three in June we won't need it obviously in the initial stages with the newborn um until they reach kind of probably six months to move them into the bigger cot so I'm glad that transition hopefully will be a smooth one in this house So I I say to parents, if you've got a child under three and you have a new baby on the way and you kind of need the cot for your new baby, go borrow a cot. Buy a new mattress, but borrow the cot. Like if you're at that stage, there's definitely a friend or a cousin or somebody who has a spare cot. Lord, I have a spare cot. They can contact me. But or, or a travel cot, even in the instance for the new baby. But keep your settled sleeper in their sleep environment. I definitely, Sheena, recommend cot beds. So if you're at the stage and you're listening to this and you're like, I need to buy a cot for my, my baby that's on the way, buy a cot bed and take the side off it at the stage of transition to a bigger bed experience because it's still their cot. It's still the sleep environment that they love and they know. And you can take the cot off, the cot side off and you can use one of those bedside rails. You can get them on any of the baby websites. They're fantastic. Um, and you can use that as the way of them not falling out. The other tip I have is if your child doesn't sleep with blankets and is very used to sleeping with a sleeping bag, a couple of months prior to your transition, maybe start using your your duvet then and your, your small toddler pillow at that stage so that they get used to sleeping like underneath a blanket rather than in the sleeping bag. Those kind of small little changes prior can help. I, I often find too at this age range, the use of night lights is sometimes needed. And you're, you're nodding, Sheena. Yes, I have that stage too, because we had the, the nightmare stage and, and, and I, I kind of again researched and went for a, I think, which probably was recommended to me, um, a red based nightlight. Oh, I, Sheena, I love you. <laughs> Good girl. Red based, red based like that. So just to say to the listeners, 
blue and white light from night lights or any other kind of light source can draw anybody out of sleep and disrupt their sleep phases. That's why phones are not recommended, the blue light that is emitted from them, even with the blocker on them, they still have that level of light. So if you're investing in any night light, please, please go with amber orange or yellow light rather than blue or white. Therefore, you're providing the supporting experience for your toddler, but you're avoiding disrupting their sleep phases. Shani, you're the dream. You're the dream. Good girl. <laughs> I, 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 it's taken a long time to get to the stage, Erica, believe me. <laughs> it does take time. Child sleep is just an absolute roller coaster. But there is information at our fingertips. Like there is. Like so the world has opened up with being able to search things and like just because just do your research products there's so many products out there that like this is the sleep dream this is going to get you all the sleep that you need but when you actually look into it an awful lot of products that are on the market actually don't really support sleep there's one toddler clock in particular that you know doesn't uh it has blue light on it and it is there's millions and millions of this device been sold worldwide so do you know it's it's about doing your research and understanding things so that you can support their sleep. Erica, it's been so interesting chatting to you today. You know, I think we could we could both just chat to you on and on about sleep because it's such a big issue, isn't it, for parents? But do you have any, you know, a bit a message really for our listeners, you know, somebody who's maybe just tearing their hair out when it comes to sleep, you know, of a child of, of any age, you know, what um what would your message be to them? Oh my goodness. Um to try and take a little bit of a step back in terms of looking at the situation objectively. And that can be very hard to do when you're sleep deprived because you firefight when you're sleep deprived. As we touched on, you will do anything to try and get the sleep. But step back and look and go, right, how how do I need to make change here? And if they're kind of looking at making change and going, no, I'm so afraid that my child is going to be upset I'm so afraid of that because that can often hold parents back. You know, making change can bring upset. There is so many ways of making change that can still respect your parenting style and support your child. So do your research and find find somebody that you can resonate with, maybe in the sleep world. That could be me. That could be a plethora of other sleep consultants. But find somebody who you kind of go, oh, I, I get them. I get them and follow them. Look at them, but don't be looking at 15 other people as well. Stay in your own lane and also kind of do what is right for your family. So, you know, that whole thing of, oh, my God, I can't believe you're doing that. You know, people passing opinion. You have to do what's right for you. So if you've reached the point with sleep challenges where you just can't keep going, then do what's right for your family rather than the opinion of anybody else. Just do what's right for you. Yeah, that's 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 really important because I know we do all fall into the trap and we do it, especially even as first time parents of comparison. We're also guilty of it and 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 maybe judgmental of people thinking if if and as you say, if it works for your family, then you know it, it's not necessarily wrong. You know, if, if co sleeping is your thing, totally, and it works. That's, totally. You know, it's not a it's not a negative aspect and it shouldn't be looked upon in that way. Absolutely not. Like Sheena, if co-sleeping is working for you and your family, A1, do it. 
And if you guys are all happy and getting the sleep you need and it's your family dynamic, 100% follow that. But if you're co-sleeping and the situation feels fraught and you're not getting any sleep and you don't feel like anybody's getting any sleep and the family is not functioning, then, then that's a sleep challenge. Do you know? Whereas the other family, that's not a sleep challenge. They're all happy. So it's about kind of not being judgmental. And I do think that parenting is one of those things that is quite judgmental. And and I, I really want to steer parents towards that staying in your own lane, doing what's right for you, doing what feels right for your family dynamic, whether that is co-sleeping, feeding to sleep, holding to sleep or sleep independently, whatever works for you guys. It's great to hear. <laughs> I know, definitely. You just, you do feel so much pressure, don't you? And it's really nice to have somebody who is a child sleep consulting saying that, you know, just reassuring parents if it works for you. That's great. If it ain't broke, don't fix it, girls. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you to Erica. I know that has given me such a boost, I have to say, um, particularly with the the reassurances over the cot to bed transition, because that was something I was really, I think I was afraid of, of having missed my window because I, again, you, can, you shouldn't, like we talked about, but you compare yourself to friends who've maybe done it or, or, or your other children who've, who've made that transition a lot younger than, than my son who like I know Dara turns three next month so Erica's advice to to keep him in the cot he's sleeping he's great he's, he's and he is not trying to get out or anything he's content there so I'm gonna keep writing that and just keep enjoying that space that space that he can't get out of um for an extra while until he is ready to transition and it's a good thing as well we did buy the cot bed because that'll be the first step is is taking the side down oh I know sometimes it's just good isn't it speaking to somebody who can reassure you and just make you feel like okay we've done the right thing and you don't feel yeah. that that panic kind of lifts and um, because I know Erica kind of made me feel a bit better about how I was dealing with Theo not settling well at night um and I've tried to follow as best I can some of her tips and you know what he is he's he's doing a lot better now um at going down and settling at night um he still wakes early and I think I might just have to accept that that's him for now. Um, I think yeah. you might be in the same boat as well, Sheena. I think you are. I mean, I mean, not to, not to, not to frighten you, Sarah, but like I said, Dara turns three. <laughs> Dara turns three next month, and he's he's. I've literally had to come to the terms with the fact that he is what what I think the lots of sleep experts have termed a morning lark, mm-hmm. and he is a lark. He's an always been an early riser always liked to be up and about early he gets his full night's sleep which again I, I know we can't complain about yes okay he has his nights where he wakes up if he's had a dream or something but you know I think that's something that I can hope maybe when he gets to school age and things you know <laughs> it, it might change but for now I think we're stuck with with two 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 little ones who, who like to get up oh, early in the morning I know I still like 19 months in I still have not quite accepted the early rising but you know what Compared to what he was like, you know, at least he's not waking three or four times during the night. So little wins. That's what it's all about, isn't it? Absolutely. We'll have to take them when we get them and take <laughs> those uninterrupted sleep moments when we get them as well. You can subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, Apple Music and anywhere you get your podcasts.